This is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Felice Chichek. She is an artist, a feminist, an academician. Felice, thank you for being on Big Talk. Thank you for having me, Michael. Now, this month, we're going to be having here in Bloomington the 5th Annual Pride Fest. In conjunction with that, you are curating an art show. It's called Everybody Art. That's opening Friday, August the 3rd, at the Thomas Gallery here on College Avenue. Everybody Art deals with gender and body. Exactly. How did you wind up being the curator of this big affair? Well, I became a board member with the Bloomington Art Alliance, and they asked me if I would uh, curate an exhibit. And uh, I asked, when would that be? When they say August, I thought, oh, that will be great uh, if I can do a show with the team you know, exploring uh, gender and identity and body politics um, in in the age of uh, Pence. And I spoke with the Pride folk and I spoke with the board members and they were all on board. So uh, the theme is everybody. And since body is a suspect often, uh, whatever the reason, and we can all be queer in different situations, I wanted to give time and space to queer artists, local queer artists, and a couple of international artists, because um, they don't often get that opportunity. What is fascinating about gender? It's fascinating that as human beings, we make categories. Gender is only one of them. I love when uh, Michelle Foucault talked about, you know, categorization of uh, human identities. What we forget is that we make these categorizations, but then we get stuck in it. We forget that they are flexible. We can change it. And gender is one of those that people feel oppressed if it's imposed on them. They feel liberated if they can express themselves freely. I think race is similar. There are other identities. I believe that any one of us have multiple identities we experience and exercise any given day. So as a woman, gender is something I cannot escape. And regardless of the country, the culture, the religion, the race, wherever you go, women are always at the bottom of the totem pole. So everyone picks their battle. So I chose woman as my issue, my battle because I am a woman. And I experience being a woman differently in different cultures, in different countries. And it's very, very interesting how codes changes that I feel freer in one country in certain areas and then not so much in other countries. So it is something that I cannot ignore. And something that I want to celebrate and embrace on my terms, and that's the battle. Now, you have written an article for this current edition of The Writer magazine. It deals with the Everybody Art Show. And uh, I noticed some very fascinating observations you make, uh, historical observations, uh, about gender. Uh, You talk about how some Native American cultures uh, actually celebrated the two-spirit people 
who were the two spirit people? They recognized people who were born neither as a man or nor a woman. They didn't, you know, these are words, Western words that we use. Mm -hmm. um, Western words. Words yes. that we use. So they yeah. didn't have that. They uh, believe that since these people are born both with male and female elements, and that is what everyone, man and woman, tries, all of us, if we identify as male and female, we try to find our other half, if you are a cisgender heterosexual, we are trying to find the other side, the other gender to feel complete. They feel, well, they already are born complete. They already have the male and female, the yin and yang, how lucky they are. Now, are you speaking of physiological attributes or more psychological attributes? I believe it's both. Aha. Uh -huh. Yes. Now, tell me if I've got this word uh, correctly. Uh, there's some people in Indonesia called the Bugis people. Mm -hmm. They recognize five genders. <laughs> yes. Uh, I was in Indonesia with Peace Corps. And so since I went there, I wanted to know more about the culture. And that was fascinating. It still exists in conjunction with the Islamic and the Christian traditions, which, you know, they, which doesn't quite recognize or celebrate that sort of differences, but it's still there in some islands and some of the cultures is still celebrated. So it's very ingrained in their culture. It depends if the male in the Western sense, biologically male person uh, identifies more as a female and then there's a female who identifies as a female and they are together, they're called one thing, you know, mm -hmm. and then vice versa. So they recognize different ways of being. So they came up with five of them. For me, the important thing is that they embrace and celebrate and they don't try to crush it. They don't try to make it uniform. They don't try to tell these people, you know, you need to be a man or a woman. They don't try to make them go through gender, you know, transformation or uh, therapy to like, oh, we have to fix you. A lot of people in this culture, the American culture, seem to believe that the two genders, the binary gender view, is etched in stone, and that's all there can possibly be. Where does that come from? It's very biblical because, uh, you know, the Greeks and the Romans uh, practice homosexuality. It's in their art, it's in their laws, it's in their literature. And if Bible is rejecting homosexuality, as a sin, it is at that very moment also recognizing its existence. Uh -huh. So it means it's always existed. Like Romans, I mentioned that how uh, Augustus tried to force his soldiers to marry uh, because he wanted more Roman soldiers because he believed that all these soldiers, especially in the Germanic front, were just too uh, happy to be with one another, have a homosexual relationship, so they didn't have any interest in women. So there was homosexuality in the Roman army, is what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, if you live in the woods in such conditions and your companions are men, and you're going to fall in love with them. <laughs> so uh, that's what happened. And it wasn't so much that Augustus 
was against homosexuality. He just wanted procreation. So yeah. he, he forced married a bunch of Roman soldiers with a woman in a colosseum, you know. Yeah, it was, a, it was a numbers game. Yeah. Similarly, you mention in your article in The Rider, you talk about how uh, Spartan generals uh, believed that homosexuality among the troops, this is a quote from you, strengthened bonds between soldiers. Exactly. That's fascinating. Yeah, because then they will die for their body, their lover, you know. And they were truly lovers. It was, was there romance involved? Well, I'm not quite sure about, you uh, know, Spartans, how romantic they were, because they were pretty, from what I understand, <laughs> were very militaristically um, uh, inclined. Yeah. But I think that if such people... I mean, these were people who would throw weekly babies from the cliff cliffs because you know they were not gonna make good soldiers Uh if such people are saying well it's good for soldiers to have relationships with each other i think it we can assume that there is you know bond going on something more than physical activity some kind of bonding but not necessarily romance as we look at it today in 21st century america yeah i'm but i think that if you're talking about bond i think what they're emphasizing is that that body system, there has to be some affection and feeling and after that you will die for that person or you will protect that person. In the Middle East, or I should say in the Mediterranean, we have a concept that we don't have it in the West. It's called homosociality. Homosociality. Yes. Okay. It means a friendship bond, deep bond between the same sex people. Yeah. People used to hold hands. Women would hold hands, men would hold hands in, in Turkey, in, you know, in Egypt, even in Greece. I find that in America, gender roles are s- extremely binary. So if you don't fit into male and female precisely, then you have to find another category. Then you have to say, I'm a lesbian or I am a trans. Um, fluidity in America is very difficult in that sense. Holding hands with a woman or a man in, in the Mediterranean didn't mean you were homosexual necessarily. Mm-hmm. But there was that kind of bond without sexuality is being involved. Yeah. There are words for it. Like we call it dost. Dost could be from the same gender. Dost could be from the opposite gender. It means that you have deep, deep bond with someone. Very yeah. similar to romance, but it's not. It's not romantic. It's something similar to that. I always find it curious that this course in America is always binary. Mm-hmm. Everything is distilled down to these binary oppositions. Either you are pro-life or pro-choice. Right. Democrat or Republican. Black or white. Good or evil. But life is rarely like that. Life is full of grays. You uh, bring up uh, the Mediterranean and that's appropriate and fitting because you're Mediterranean. Yes. Turkey. Yeah. I was born on the Turkish-Georgian border. Aha. Uh-huh. And the Black Sea, at the end of Black Sea. So I come from the Amazon land. <laughs> I I found out that here when I was studying art history and gender studies uh, that um, uh, historical Amazons, Greek Amazons, came from my region, end of Black Sea, going into the Caucasus Mountains. Wow. 
uh-huh. exactly where I am from, and my mom all of a sudden made sense. You uh, went to Marmara University School of Fine Arts, which is in Istanbul. Yes. Uh, you got your BFA in sculpture there. Then you came here to Indiana, Bloomington, got an MFA again in sculpture. You also got an MA in Ottoman and Modern Turkish Studies. Then you even went on to get your PhD in Central Eurasian Studies. How did you end up here in Bloomington? I wanted to study art. I wanted to do MFA. and I was actually traveling in Spain at the time. Uh-huh. Uh, when I got the news that I was accepted. I had a teacher that came from U.S. Uh-huh. back to Istanbul. She moved back and... So she was very encouraging. So she did a lot for me. It was her that basically got me into art school. Was it an interest of yours creating things when you were a little girl? Yes. In my family, arts and literature and music has always been celebrated. Uh And there are poets in my family. My mother is a nature poet. My sister is a singer. Everyone in my family dabbled in, you know, painting and not so much sculpture. I was the first doing that, but people always did something with arts and crafts. Now, me, I and my sister were the first to study it. Mm-hmm. Formally, yes. Formally, yeah. but it's been practiced widely, so I grew up with it. I found an interesting quote, uh, again, by you in your Writer Magazine piece. Uh, it's from uh, former President John F. Kennedy in a 1963 speech. He said, I'm going to quote it uh, for you here, if art is to nourish the roots of our culture, society must set the artist free to follow his vision wherever it takes him, which really plays into this art exhibit that you're curating here. Totally. I had heard that speech when I was in college, and I I think that's one of the reasons why I came to the U.S., this is where I thought I could be more of an individual uh-huh. because Mediterranean has a lot of, you know, great attributes, but it's also a very collective society in most uh-huh. places. So, and art is a very individualistic act. And I really felt that this is a man who understood that vision. It's essential to not, you know, essential to have freedom to explore. If you are part of a marginalized group, art becomes even more of a necessity. It's not a luxury. It's not a choice. Sometimes it's the only form of expression. The creation of art by a marginalized people, is it a sense of saying, here I am, here's who I am, I want you to know me? Exactly. Everybody, artists or not, marginalized or not, everybody, I believe, wants to be heard and wants to be seen. We all need that outlet. We all need an outlet to express ourselves. Now, if you are a marginalized or oppressed person, art is one of those avenues that you can bring your humanity to forefront mm-hmm. or you can connect to others through their humanity, to the, through the primordial selves where we are all the same. We don't have genders or race and age. We just become beings. Yes. And that's why art becomes very influential and essential. What are some of the forms of art that will be presented in the Everybody Art Show? We have paintings. Mm -hmm. We have photographs. 
we have print, we have a um, statue, mm -hmm. uh, we have another three-dimensional piece, we have digital video uh, by uh, Burak Karajan, uh, he's a Turkish artist who seeked asylum. So most of the artists are local, but some are international. Yes. So uh, there will be digital pieces by Burak Karajan, who resides in Toronto, originally uh -huh. from Turkey. And uh, we have a Greek artist, but most of the other ones are local. And we also have a uh, ex-Hoosier, Margaret Belton. Uh, she's in, she resides in uh, San Francisco, but she's contributing a piece. One of these uh, artists uh, has a fascinating story. Jessica Hurt, apparently she was a student at Central Christian College of the Bible. And at that time, as a student, she came out as a lesbian. And there was quite an adverse reaction to that. Yes, I always finding, find, find it fascinating and bittersweet to meet people who are true believers and mm -hmm. they seek peace and nourishment in religion and then they you know come to odds with their community if uh -huh. they are not accepted with their gender identity so uh -huh. jessica is one of those people she wanted to be a priest and one of her uh, mentors at, the, at a camp christian camp said this is a great school so she enters, and soon after she enters, she's told that, no, she cannot be a priest because she's a woman. And then she realizes that she's gay, uh -huh. and she goes through all this, you know, struggle. And when she comes out, they put her in solitary room, sounded like a jail from her description, and made her watch all these videos, like how to please a man or how to engage with a man, you know, sexually. And so it it just turned her off and made her more nauseated than, you know. Physically nauseated. Yeah, yeah. than yeah. like feeling <laughs> turned on. So, and that didn't work. So she had to leave. She had to leave and she couldn't even keep any of her credits at the, from the school. Has she found herself today? I think she's in a better place than she was before. Yeah. And I think, you know, do we do we fully find ourselves, any one of us, you know, and say, like, this is it. You know, right. we, are all, we are all It's evolving. the journey or the destination, and yeah. is there ever a destination? Yeah. And I think she's she's happier. Yeah. She, today, um, she performs at Backdoor and now um, other venues. Uh, and she still wants to practice her religion and luckily her family and and some of her friends are very accepting so she's practicing in her own way so she has a piece she has a three-dimensional piece and then she will be performing august 31st the closing of the show that friday she will have um, a performance do you define your gender and what is it well, before I define my gender, I, when people ask, where are you from? Because I have this accent that people cannot place. Yes. <laughs> and I dress in a way that it confuses people. <laughs> I'm not very binary. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is not just in the U.S., like wherever I go, whatever country I go to, they're like, so where are you from exactly? You know, uh -huh. what do you do? I say I'm a compilation of all my experiences. 
and I'm a post. And that's a lot. <laughs> that's a <laughs> and I'm a postmodern nomad, and I don't really think about you know what's my gender any given day, and it's not the first thing. But it's part of me. It's not not all of me. It's just one part of me. Now it becomes important when I am reminded that I am a woman. <laughs> Do we have to think that we're of a gender? Is that necessary for us? N- well, not for me, but I think for a great many people. Mm-hmm. And part of it, I think the important part of it has to do with procreation. Yes. Now, before, in my previous life, before I did all this grad work, I was a nurse. Ah. <laughs> I was an RN. Um, this is not my scientific belief, but I tend to think that we are programmed to procreate. A lot of the things we do comes from that urge. And I think that... Biologically programmed. Biologically programmed. Is that programmed. what you're saying? Yes. And we are mm-hmm. biologically programmed to do a lot of things. It doesn't mean that we follow or we should follow all of them. We overcome some of them. I think yeah. that uh, s- because of procreation, people have been very nervous about, you know, who's the father, what's the race, yeah. how's, you know, what's the gender, so... I think subconsciously a lot of our problems comes from there. And then people think that I know the best answer. No, I have the best answer. I have the best practice. And then unfortunately, it's in the nature of religion to require obedience, mm-hmm. not questioning. So if Because you d- it's divine revelation. Yeah. So because it supersedes man's rule. Yeah. It's God's rule. Yeah. Right. So then if you don't fit into that scripture and then then there is a conflict because yeah. your lifestyle or your gender, if it differs from the scriptures, then they're like, oh, well, what am I going to do? How, how, you know, how this is going to fit with my life and worldview. So uh, instead of being more open, more inclusive, making space and understanding, they try some people, you know, try to. Tell like you know you have to change. Let's let's put you in a room and you watch a bunch of videos. Uh, You'll become straight in no time. We'll set you straight. We'll set you straight exactly. <laughs> what is your favorite? What is your pref- preferred form of art? I think visual arts. Visual arts because I see the world in images and colors. Like I respond to that, and I tell I remind my students, especially art history students, because I made them do some artworks. Said, remember, don't be nervous. Before we had words, before we had letters, we had images mm-hmm. in the caves. So that's our first language, images. Like so. the caves at Lascaux. Yes. And then, maybe, you know, we look at each other. We see images. We don't see <laughs> words. <laughs> yes. And anyway, even the words and letters are images, right? They are shapes. Right. So I think that, you know, it's in, innate in all of us. And... I am good with words as well. I mean, actually, one time Peter called me a wordsmith. <laughs> that, that was Peter Lopalato. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of the writer. <laughs> yeah. A wordsmith. He's like, where do they come up with these? Uh, do you dream them or something? Um, <laughs> like I said, I come from a literary family. But, I mean, I, I, I am mentioning that because I took it as a compliment since English sure. is not my native language. But I think that visual arts first. And I danced... Um, you know, from childhood. And I had a 
folk dance group even when I first came here. A for folk free. dance group? Yeah, ah. yeah. So I dance and visual arts, I would say. You know, one thing I don't see here in your practice of art, poetry. Have you ever? Yes. Ah. Um, now, my mom is a published poet. Yes. And my sister, uh, my other sister is also a published poet. Uh, I wrote a few times. Like, if an art form or if an expression comes to me in dance, I do that. If it comes in a song, I do that. And a few times in my life it came to me in a poetry form. But I don't do it very often. You were one of the pioneers of Women Exposed. How did that come about? Well, actually, Margaret Belton, it mm-hmm. was her brainchild, but I embraced it. and Early on, yeah. Early on and sort of take it to next level and, um, and added international artists and uh, diversified it. More, I know. When she moved to San Francisco, especially. So that f- was a show with two goals. To create space and time for women artists, because even today, like 93% of the artists in major museums and galleries are men. Even today? Even today. That's crazy. Yes. Even though women make most of the students in art schools, but there is no room or there is, when they get out of school, and when they want to become professional artists, that's where they get cut off. So I wanted to create a space once a year, positive discrimination, say, here's, you know, here are women artists. Yeah. And at the same time, the other goal was to raise money for the middle house, as well as awareness about the domestic violence. Right. So, it, and um, the response to that was so amazing. I didn't experience domestic violence in my household. But so many people will come to me on the streets, one-on-one. If not in public, if not during the event, they will say, thank you, thank you for like doing this. I grew up in a household with domestic violence, or my father was, or like somebody experienced it. So there's so many people who experienced domestic violence. And they still live with that trauma. I wasn't really prepared for that, but that motivated me a lot to keep it going. Otherwise, a lot of women who got married and then who became mothers, all of a sudden stopped producing, stopped making art. But if I had this, and if, especially if I asked them or included them in the show, they said, thank you for pushing me to make art at least once a year. So that was, that was the another part that um, I really appreciated. Felice Chichek is the curator of the upcoming show opening tomorrow, Friday, August 3rd, at the Thomas Gallery on North College Avenue. At 5.30 p.m. It's at 5.30 p.m. That's when it starts again, part of the First Friday Gallery Walk uh, every month here in Bloomington. Uh, plenty of artists there. It'll run through August 31st. Felice, thank you so much for being on Big Talk. Thank you for having me, Michael.